Thank you, choir, and uh, I want to thank Samantha and Brother Earl for filling in, and uh, Lori's uh, absent today and doing a great job, and appreciate y'all uh, being willing to do that. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians, chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 21 through 31 uh, this morning, Galatians 4, 21 through 31. Uh, we... Uh, we have a desire in us to be free. We do. We have a desire in us to be free. And there's all sorts of things in life that sometimes we want to be free from. Sometimes there's political powers that we want to be free from. And so we go to war and we, and we fight to gain political freedom. Sometimes there are uh, habits in our lives that we want to be free from, some bad habits. And I find myself often telling uh, my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter, uh, that's, that's a bad habit. If you keep doing that, that's going to be a bad habit. And it reminds me that, hey, I've had some of those habits that she's starting to have, and I probably still have some bad habits today. And so sometimes we want to be free from those sorts of things. Um, but but there's, there, there's this thing about freedom that it calls to us, and we long for freedom. Uh, but there's something else that we need to be freed from, and ultimately that is a, a short word that has a lot of power and control in our lives apart from the help of Jesus Christ, and that is sin. Uh, we are enslaved to our sin, and the Bible teaches that all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, the sin enters the world. We see that this enslavement, this bondage to sin takes place, and it is passed down from generation to generation to generation. That little precious girl that you just saw on the screen. Um, uh, try to forget about that other face that was up there, okay? That wasn't a precious face. But that little girl, okay? That little precious, beautiful girl is enslaved to sin. She was born in bondage to sin. And more than anything else in life, she needs to be set free from that. And as Paul writes this letter to the Galatians, he's writing to a group of people who have understood that they were enslaved to sin, have understood the way to be set free, have believed in Jesus and have been set free, and are now being told to go back into slavery. But of course, the ones who are telling them that aren't wording it that way. They're not saying go back into slavery. But what they're trying to get them to do is sending them back into slavery, saying, if you really want to be saved, you've got to be obedient to the law. You have to do these good works, which is to go back into a life of slavery. And so as Paul writes this, it's really, this entire letter could be summarized as this, a call to freedom. A call to freedom. If I were, if I were going to give a title to this entire letter to the, to the, book, uh, letter to the Galatians, the entire book of Galatians, one of the titles that I might would come up with, it would be at the top of my list, would be Foundations for Freedom. Foundations for Freedom. Paul is writing this to help the Galatians not go back to a life of slavery. And we could see, and this is jumping ahead, but I'm going to jump ahead for just a minute to verse 1 of chapter 5. And we'll get to this, hopefully next week, the Lord is willing. Chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That is the that's the heart of why Paul is writing this letter. So that these believers would not go back into slavery. And if you and I are not careful, if you and I are not careful, careful, we could understand that we're enslaved to our sin, understand how to be set free, and either go on living in slavery because we're not willing to trust in Jesus Christ, 
Or we may trust in Jesus and then even as someone who's been set free, be tempted to go back again under this yoke of slavery. We don't want to do that. And so for the end of chapter 4 into chapter 5, I want us to take several weeks and look at in depth this idea of freedom. And not just any kind of freedom, but gospel freedom, good news freedom, freedom that centers on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so from chapter four, verse 21 on through about halfway through chapter five, we're going to look at this theme of freedom. We're going to see the word free and the word slave repeated multiple times. We'll see the word freedom used multiple times in in passages to come in chapter five. But today, as we begin to unpack what gospel freedom is, we want to begin with this. Gospel freedom is a call to the right family. It is a call to the right family. So if you'll join me, we're going to read verses 21 through 31 and then begin to unpack this incredible passage of Scripture. Paul writes to the Galatians, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. What Paul does in this passage of Scripture is he does a little bit of what he's already done, and he takes the Galatians back to God's Word, back to the Scriptures, back to that Old Testament Jewish Scriptures. He takes them back there, and he explains passage, really several chapters from the book of Genesis, and he explains those and gives the meaning in just a few verses here and helps us understand that salvation through faith in Jesus Christ has been the only way of salvation and fits right in to all that God was doing in the history of the world, in redemptive history, getting ready for the sending of his son. And what the false teachers would have been doing was taking these very same stories, these stories of Abraham, and as we'll talk about, his two wives and their two sons, and twisting those to say that the way that we are a part of God's family is through the law. Paul says that's not the right interpretation of this Old Testament story, the story of these two families. The right interpretation is that salvation comes through promise, which means it's by God's grace. So let's unpack this. The first section we see directs our attention to this Old Testament story, verse 21 through 23. And this first truth that we want to see is this. 
You belong to one of two families. If you are here today, you belong to one of two families. When you leave here today, wherever you go, whoever you see, everyone you see belongs to one of two families. Now, these two families are described in this passage uh, by, by, by referencing two women and their two sons. But Paul begins by this probing question. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Paul uses a play on words with the word law here. He says, you who desire to be under the law. He's talking to these Galatian believers who are beginning to place themselves under that Old Testament law, that law that Moses received on Mount Sinai. And he says, do you not listen to the law? Now, when he uses the word law the first time, he's referring to the Ten Commandments and all of those prescriptions of how to live that God gave the children of Israel at Mount Sinai after they came out of Egypt. But when he uses the word law the second time, he's using the word law in reference to the first five books of the Bible, which are known as the law together. That's one of the ways that those first five books are described. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's referred to as the law. In Hebrew, it's the Torah. It just translates to law. So Paul says, tell me you who desire to be under the law, referencing the Ten Commandments and all of those other laws that they received at Mount Sinai. Tell me you desire to be under that. Do you not listen to all the rest of the law? To the other parts of those first five books of the Bible. Do you not listen to the rest of the story? You have to take... That law, those commandments, in the context of everything else that God had been doing and was doing and is doing. And they were removing it from that context. So he says, let me remind you. Let me remind you about this story. There was a man named Abraham. It is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Who and, and what is Paul referring to? He's talking about two women by the name of Sarah and Hagar. If you remember back, if you are familiar with the story, back in Genesis chapter 16 through 21, we find the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. And God had made a promise. He had made a promise to Abraham that he would be given a son. And through him, all the nations would be blessed. That this son would then have children who would have children who would have children. And the offspring of Abraham would, would be more than the stars in the sky. And so he had promised this son. But they kept waiting. And they kept waiting. And they kept waiting. And just like you and I today, we get impatient. We begin to doubt God's word. Where does that come from, that doubting God's word? Well, we talked about it just a minute ago, all the way back in the Garden of Eden. What did Adam and Eve do? They doubted God's word. God had said, don't eat from any, uh, don't, don't, you can eat from any tree in the garden, don't eat from this one tree. In the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. What Satan say? No, you won't not die. Now, uh, Adam and Eve are faced with a dilemma. Do we believe God's word? Do we not believe God's word? Well, they chose not to believe God's word. Abraham Sarah found themselves in the same crossroads. God has promised us a son, but we've waited a long time, and we haven't had a son. 
And the only way for all these other promises of God to be fulfilled, for God to make us into a great nation, is if we have a son. And so what we find in Genesis chapter 16 is that they decided to take matters into their own hands. Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Sounds so much like the garden, Adam and Eve. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. That child that was born, we know as Ishmael. So God had made a promise. They didn't trust the promise. And they tried to do things on their own. They took matters into their own hands instead of trusting the promise of God. And this time, that passage tells us that Abraham was 86 years old. Hagar, was, Hagar became pregnant, and she gave birth to Ishmael. Well, what is Paul trying to do in referencing this story? What is he setting up? I want to give you two truths that go under this point number one. And these two truths are this. The household of slavery is founded on the work of man. The household of slavery is founded on the work of man of man. Notice what he says there in verse 22. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. The son of the slave woman, the son of Hagar, Ishmael, was born according to the flesh, according to the works of man. And that's a life of slavery. exactly the battle that the Galatians are in with these false teachers who are wanting them to depend upon their own works for salvation. And Paul says, guess what that leads to? A life of slavery. But on the other hand, the household of freedom is founded on the promise of God. The household of freedom is founded on the promise of God. The end of verse 23, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. The son of the free one was born through promise. Remember that promise that God had made to Adam and Eve? Excuse me, had made, I'm going to talk about Adam and Eve so much, I'm going to get them confused the rest of our, rest of our time today. But the, the promise that God had made to, to uh, Abraham and Sarah, that he would give them a son? Well, guess what? Guess what? We skip ahead a couple chapters from chapter 16 in the book of Genesis to chapter 21. God did what he always does. He kept his promises. Chapter 21, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Guess what? God did what he always does. 
he made good on the promise. Abraham and Sarah just weren't patient. They trusted themselves instead of trusting God's word. And that is at the heart of all sin. Not trusting God, not taking him at his word. And so Paul introduces these these characters here, these, these two women, Sarah and Hagar, this woman who is a slave, this woman who is free, and says they both have offspring, but the offspring of the slave woman is in slavery, and the offspring of the free woman is free. And so we want to be a part of the family of freedom. We don't want to be a part of the family that is in slavery. So if we want to be a part of the family of freedom, then becoming a part of that family can't be founded on the work of man where we try to run ahead of God and take matters into our own hands. Instead, if we want to be a part of the family of freedom, we have to trust God and leave the work in his hands and let him do what only he can do. In this story, give a child to very old parents. The wife is barren, unable to have children. Only God could do this. You and I, lost in our sin, dead, the Bible says, in our sin, unable to change our status before Him. We are rebels against Him. We deserve His punishment. Only God could rescue us and set us free. Now, after Paul sets up the story in verses 21 through 23, then he goes a little bit further and helps explain the meaning of this story. And we find this in verses 24 through 27. Verses 24 through 27. And in this passage, we're going to see that not only do we belong to one of two families, we also belong to one of two covenants. You belong not only to one of two families, but to one of two covenants. Verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. What is this? Well, the story of Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, two sons. He says this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. When he says this may be interpreted allegorically, he means these women are real people. This is a historical event, but it was foreshadowing something that was coming in the future. It was pointing to another reality. The, the story of Abraham and Sarah and, 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 and Isaac and Hagar and Ishmael, it's a real story. It really happened. But it was painting a picture of something else. God has the ability to do that. The one who writes history and writes the future. He has the ability to do that. And so Paul says, we want to understand exactly what these two women stand for. These women are two covenants. Well, what are these covenants? Well, one is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, if you recall, Mount Sinai is the place where when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, one of their first main stops was at this mountain called Mount Sinai. And if you remember what happened there, Moses goes up on the mountain. The people stay down and are commanded not to go up on the mountain because God is going to descend and he is going to meet with Moses. And there on top of the mountain, God gave the children of Israel his law. 
He gave them his law at Mount Sinai. And so, remembering that, let's read verse 24 again. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Go on to verse 25. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. So, what Paul is doing is he is... He is associating, he's putting together the slave woman and Mount Sinai. Now, that may seem odd because we would say, well, hasn't God given the law and he the one that came down? So isn't the law good if God gave it? It kind of sounds like Paul's saying it's bad. Well, Paul's already addressed this in chapter 3. He's already addressed the purpose of the law. The law is good insofar as it points out to us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. The law is good insofar as it reveals to us God's holiness and our unholiness, our impurity, our imperfection, so that we say, God, we can't live up to your standard. We need you to come and rescue us from ourselves. But as soon as we take the law to be something that God never intended it to be, the way of salvation, now we turn the law into something bad. And so it's that view of the law, the law as a means of salvation, which is what the false teachers are preaching to the Galatians, that Paul associates with Hagar, the slave woman. Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And what does she correspond to? She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. There's two women and there's two sons. There's two covenants. There's two mountains. We'll talk about the second mountain in a minute. It's not mentioned, but it's implied. And there are two cities. And the first of those cities is the present Jerusalem. And so you have these, these, this one column. If you're going to make a column and kind of, and kind of put together this passage of Scripture, what Paul is saying. Over here you have Hagar, who has Ishmael, and her offspring are slaves. And that corresponds to Mount Sinai, which is where the law was given, which corresponds to the present Jerusalem, who is in slavery with her children. Now what would Paul mean by the present Jerusalem? Well, a very specific context he could be referring to these false teachers who are known as Judaizers who are coming in and trying to get the Galatians to go back to Mount Sinai as a means of salvation, to get them to go back to the law and say, if you really want to be a part of God's family, then here's the law, obey it. In other words, become a Jew. Become a Jew. And Paul says that Jerusalem, those people, those agitators, those troublemakers, as he's called them in this book. That is the present Jerusalem that is enslaved to sin because they are under the law. The present Jerusalem enslaved. And the Galatian believers are being tempted to go back to that. But then Paul interjects the good news. After talking about Hagar the slave woman and her offspring who are slaves and this covenant of law where if you do this, then God will save you, but you must do it perfectly. 
And we can't be perfect. And so that covenant, if we trust in that for salvation, can only lead to a life of slavery to sin, which, as we'll see in just a moment, means we miss out on the inheritance that belongs to the family of freedom. But the good news, verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So Paul, he gives these comparisons, these two women, Sarah and Hagar, the, the, these two covenants, covenant of works, this covenant of promise, Mount Sinai, being representative of the covenant of promise. We don't have the other mountain mentioned, but that would be Mount Zion. And, and then we have these two cities. The present Jerusalem who is in slavery, but a heavenly Jerusalem. The Jerusalem above, who is our mother. The city of freedom. What we all long for. The heavenly Jerusalem. And so if we were going to write another column, in one column we had Hagar and all those things under it. The other column we have Sarah, who is free, who has Isaac, a child of promise. A child that could only come through divine intervention. And and, and that corresponds to a heavenly Jerusalem. And what does this heavenly Jerusalem look like? Well, we have a reference to it in the book of Hebrews, even in regards to Abraham and his faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, uh, the writer of Hebrews talking about Abraham says, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What does this city look like? Revelation chapter 21 gives us a beautiful picture of the heavenly Jerusalem. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth and the first earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. And we skip down a few more verses and we have another picture of this new city of Jerusalem. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal, He had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And we could keep reading, and we read about this city. We get the most glorious part of this city in verse 22 and 23. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Here's what that means. Everybody in that city has been set free 
from sin. Because God is able to live there in their presence. And they are able to live in God's presence. And God's wrath against sin does not consume them. What has happened? What has happened? They have been set free from their sin. But the question then is, how? How does that happen? I want to share with you two truths under this point number two. I'm going to say them fairly quickly. The household of slavery is built on the law. And we saw that in the description of Hagar and Mount Sinai and the present Jerusalem. The household of slavery is built on the law. If we build our lives on trying to be good enough for God to love us, we will remain enslaved to our sin and we will die in our sin. However, the household of freedom is built on grace. The household of freedom is built on grace. Grace as opposed to law. Grace, getting a free gift is something that you do not deserve. This is where I love verse 27. Look at verse 27. Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1. And this passage, in its immediate context, is talking about Jerusalem. So it makes sense that Paul would quote it as he's talking about the Jerusalem that above is above, is free, and she is our mother. But at the same time, it has references back to Sarah. And so it's really this verse that allows Paul to make the connection between Hagar and the present Jerusalem that's in slavery and between Sarah and the new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem from above, which is free. Isaiah 54, verse 1, quoted here in verse 27 of Galatians chapter 4. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. If I could summarize that verse with one word, it would be the word grace. A barren woman should not rejoice that she has children. That's, that's impossible. How then can this barren one rejoice? How can the children of the desolate one be more than those of the one who has a husband? How can Sarah, old and advanced in years, barren her whole life, even if she hadn't been barren now to the point in her life where she should be physically unable to have children, how could she have a son? Because God did it. He did the impossible. He did the work. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. I should be shut out of those beautiful gates of the new Jerusalem forever because of my sin. But God has done a work that I can never do on my own. And He has provided a gift. It is divine intervention that allowed Sarah to have a son in her old age. And it is divine intervention that allows you and me 
people lost and dead in our sin, to be rescued from our sin, to be set free, and to be members and citizens of this new Jerusalem, to be members of this gospel family, this family of freedom. Well, how? How did God do the work? Where did He do the work? This is awesome. You ready? We go back to Isaiah chapter 54, which Paul quotes that verse 1. If you turn back there, you would see it word for word, what he quoted. You know what chapter comes before Isaiah chapter 54? That's an easy question now. 53, okay, chapter 53. 53 comes before 54, all right? Do you know what is in Isaiah chapter 53? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquity. You know what happened in chapter three, chapter 53? Before the barren woman rejoiced, the Lamb of God died. You know what happens before a sinner is able to enter into the family of God to dwell in the eternal city of God? The king of that city leaves the city and he allows those sinners to kill him. And He takes the punishment that you and I deserve upon Himself so that we, the guilty, could be counted as righteous. Those are words that Paul has already used in quoting Genesis in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 where he talks about Abraham's belief in God's promise and says it was counted to him as righteousness. 
I know we haven't made it to verse 28 through 31, and guess what? We're not going to make it there today, okay? I want us to close with this thought, with this truth. That you and I are in the same state as Sarah, unable to do anything to change our present circumstance in a barren land of our sin where there is no life, only death. And and, and we have a choice to make. Just like Sarah and Abraham did. Do we try to fix this problem on our own? Or do we trust in the promise of God? They tried to fix the problem on their own. It didn't work out too well. But when God delivered on His promise, there was joy. In the place of the sorrow, there was joy. Now, the choice before us. We are lost in our sin. We come into this world that way. There's only death that awaits us. Not simply physical death, but eternal death. Separated from God forever because of our sin. And we have a choice. Do I try to fix the problem on my own? By saying, God, I'll be good enough. You just tell me what to do. And I'll do it. I'll do more good things than bad things. I'll let my good outweigh the bad. I'll make up for the bad things by doing more good things. I can do this, God. That's the covenant of Mount Sinai. That's the covenant of the law. That's the covenant that leads to slavery. When we rely on that to save us, we can't rescue ourselves from ourselves. Or we can say, I can't do it. But God, I trust your promise. That when you say, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That that's true. Not everyone who's good enough. Not everyone who does more good things than bad things. Not everyone who tries to follow the Old Testament law as best they can. But everyone who cries out to Jesus and says, I can't do it. But you did it on the cross. You paid the price for my sin. And so I believe, I trust, I have faith. That that's sufficient. That that's enough. Your work, God, is enough to save us. That is a family of freedom. That is a family built on a foundation and continued to be built up by God's grace. A free gift. So you see what Paul is doing here? He's talking to these 
these Christians who've gotten confused with a false gospel, who've been tempted to go back into this life of slavery, and he says, let me tell you a story. A story that God wrote about two women and two sons and two covenants and two mountains and two cities. But only one family of freedom. You want to be a part of the family of freedom? Trust in Jesus. Have faith in Him. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. What family do you belong to? I hope it's the family of freedom, the gospel family. I hope Sarah is your mother, not Hagar. I hope you're trusting in the promises of God, not in your own ability. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, we realize, Lord, that we are unworthy of the salvation that you have provided for us. And so, Father, we offer you our praise and our thanksgiving. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who is a member of the wrong family. Father, who is a member of this family of slavery. And Father, I pray that today, whoever that person is, would stop relying on themselves and would surrender their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, trusting in what He did to set them free from their sin. Father, I pray for all of us who have been set free from our slavery to sin, that we would not go back again to trying to earn Your love, but that we would rest in Your grace. That we would rest in Your mercy. That we would rest in Your love for us. That we would rest in what Jesus did on the cross each and every day. We would rest in that. In that gospel promise that we are justified by faith and not by works. Father, I long, I long to see that heavenly Jerusalem. That Jerusalem that is above. The city that is the bride of Christ. The people of God redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Worshiping You, serving You, loving You, enjoying Your presence forever. God, what freedom that is. Father, I pray that no one would miss out on that glorious city. Father, thank You for freedom in Christ. It is in His name we pray. Amen.